0: Something that always comes to mind for me is that at an RMC, that's all they do is mobility. Yet when you're talking about an HR department or um, a total rewards department or a benefits department within a corporation, relocation might only be 10 percent of what they do. So with every move, um, there might be a little bit of a "How did we do this before you know, kind of trying to remember?" and so it's not necessarily as efficient of a process. And so, again, that's where that soft saving comes in. You know, we're able to move things along a lot easier. Powered by NEI Global Relocation, this is Relocation Leader, the podcast where we help advanced professionals in the world of global
1: mobility. Now, here's your host, Zach Turbis. All right, welcome to another episode of Relocation Leader. I have with me Amy Smith, Director of Global Mobility Strategies at NEI Global Relocation, and we are very happy to have her because you've been known to carry an entire podcast, haven't you?
0: Absolutely, 100%.
1: And today we're we're going to be talking about constructing policy and benefits, which I know is the most riveting discussion you can possibly have. But we're going to work our way through it. And I have some fun questions to start us off with.
0: That hurt my feelings a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, on to the fun questions. Yeah. So uh, the first question I have um, to liven this up is, so in an ideal world— mm-hmm. Where, where any technology is possible, what futuristic tool would you invent to revolutionize the relocation process? And you can't say teleportation.
0: Ah, oh, that was gonna what I was gonna say. No, Philip said it last time. Oh, so. come on, <laughs> teleportation is the obvious answer. Mm-hmm. Philip got off easy. How about robots that pack your household goods while you're sleeping?
1: They have those.
0: Okay. I'm well, joking. <laughs> they have those?
1: Uh, not yet. Okay. That's a good idea. Well, then that's yeah. my idea. I feel like that'd be the creepiest idea, though.
0: you just, just be like... You're just sleeping in robot. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Just go back to sleep.
1: Yeah. And you'd find people that uh, were like, oh, okay, robots are packing that house. We can get in there. They won't yeah. even know. Just <laughs> take all this stuff. That's true. It's like the robots have it.
0: That's true. That's why I don't work in tech. <laughs> That's why I'm not
1: an inventor <laughs> okay so tell me I'll, I'll kind of mingle in some of these other questions um, but what what is important for clients to um, to keep in mind when they're looking at their own policies and their own their own program um, how can they they begin to think about policy development in a way that keeps them competitive that um, you know first of all I guess what are the goals of your policy to begin with
0: mm-hmm that's a really good question. And I think, you know, when we think about goals of the policy, that's something that we always ask our clients when they're looking to make a change to their policy. What are your goals? What are your business objectives? Um, you know, I think about companies have kind of four primary objectives and it's typically they want to make money. There's the, the finance aspect. I like of that it. one too. Yes, yep. me too. Um, they have their talent acquisition, their talent retention. Um, they have the the strategic side where they're looking to grow and they're looking to be more efficient um, as a company and then of course there's also the operational side of it where they're looking to um, make sure that their customer service is top focus so depending on which objective you know we we kind of ask our clients to rank those what's most important to you right now um, makes a big difference in how we suggest that they move forward with their policies so obviously Cost-conscious companies are going to focus on budget and making sure that their programs are cost-effective, whereas someone that is looking to expand their talent or they're having a struggle with talent acquisition, perhaps, they might want a more robust policy. And that is really where the competitiveness comes in. So if you have someone with Apple that's competing with all of these Silicon Valley tech giants, they need to make sure that they're competitive with all of those companies. Um, And then if you have companies that are looking to grow their business, they're looking for efficiencies um, and they're looking for basic customer service. That's their primary. Then we need to make sure that we're putting together a program or is putting together a program that is going to get the employee there quickly. It's going to to take care of them well enough to agree a degree strong enough that the employee can get into the new position and hit the, you know, hit the ground running.
1: How do they know? That their program is adequate. Um, you know, like how do they know that they're competitive?
0: So the best way to know that they're competitive, there's a couple of ways. They can look at general industry stats, which is something that you know we would do or they should ask their RC. To your do. horn, to
1: your horn. To your
0: horn. That's what our department does. Um, but we would we would expect that they would want to look at industry data and also peer into peer company data. So we talk about Apple as the example. Um, they'd want to look at those other tech giants to see what they're offering, so that they can be competitive.
1: Nice. So, uh, as far as like, so you said the business objectives of the company. You go to them and you ask them, you know, what is most important to you. Mm-hmm. So there is no one size fits all approach to Never. building a program. <laughs> Never. So how yeah. how does um, how does it work with um, sitting down and initially going over what they have? And finding those areas, so maybe maybe you've got the market research right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Do you just change everything all at once?
0: Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, again, it's not a one size fits all. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have situations where maybe a new um, SVP of HR comes in and they say, you know what, I just moved under this policy, I hated it. We're going to start from scratch, and so then we are wiping everything out and starting, you know, over. There could be a situation where there's feedback on a specific benefit or there's economic conditions that would lead us to think that different benefits need to change. Um, in which case, you know, then we're, we're kind of recommending one or two components are affected.
1: Do you find that the business needs change quite a bit or do are companies pretty set in what their focus is and maybe that's why their policies don't change as much.
0: That's a really good question. And I would say, you know, I can look at our client base and pretty well know, you know, these companies are cost conscious. These companies are employee focused. I would say they're, they're generally kind of, they have their culture in place and that kind of sticks, but then we have things like COVID that come into play and completely turn everything upside down. Um, you know, whether it could be a merger or an acquisition or, you know.
1: Because you could have been in like a, you know, we we were very focused on being cost conscious. And, oh, what happened? Oh, now we don't have an entire department. Yes. So, you know, yeah, so you have to right. do what you need to do to help the business survive. And sometimes that dictates um, your focus with regards to relocation. Then.
0: Exactly. Yes.
1: So talking through like we, we covered business objectives, mm-hmm. but when it comes to, Uh, to like maybe demographics, you know, Uh, how do different employee demographics like seniority level, family status, how do those impact the design and offerings of a corporate mobility program?
0: Sure. So I will say that currently 91% of companies tier their programs based on employee grade level, salary, um, seniority level. And so most companies, again, 91% are, tiering those programs they have uh, most commonly four policies and then um they may have some additional uh, pieces tucked in there you know whether What's it's the, the home...
1: mo- most policies you've ever seen
0: oh gosh um, <laughs> <laughs> um i would say there was one that had 36 what yes okay yes um as far as family status goes that's a really really interesting one Uh, So one piece is, it kind of goes along with that, is homeowner-renter status, Mm. which we're seeing a little bit of a decline in companies differentiating between homeowner and renter status. Why is that? Well, I'll get there. I'll Mm. get to that. Um, There also are some companies, we don't typically see policies where it's like, here's a policy for family, here's a policy for a single employee, but sometimes they will vary their benefits. Maybe their miscellaneous allowance is varied by the number of of uh, family members. But we're starting to see as companies are looking to move their policies towards a more diverse equity inclusion friendly policy, they are kind of pulling back from that. So, um, you know, companies aren't offering different benefits for homeowners and renters. Obviously, Homeowners get a home sale, renters get a lease cancellation, Mm -hmm. but they're not giving a different amount for miscellaneous expense allowance, for example. Is that
1: decreasing the tiers, like, or consolidating tiers, kind of, or... Uh,
0: So far, not necessarily, because Mm -hmm. they are still primarily divided by that employee level or job grade. Yeah. Um, But we are seeing companies starting to kind of pull back from differentiating by family status a little bit.
1: So then moving on to, like, you know, other factors... Um, I feel like destination countries could be like the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So what are common challenges companies face when relocating employees to different countries, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, different regions? um, Yeah, cultural differences, language barriers, those types of things.
0: You know, that's a really broad question. And we we're talking about like 160 countries. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's hard to pinpoint one thing. I will say in general, visa and immigration is a huge challenge. Um, it takes a long time, especially in certain countries. If you're talking about China, it takes a very long time, and there's a, an extensive amount of documentation that's necessary. Um, whereas, you know, maybe moving from the U.S. to Canada is pretty simple. So visa and immigration is a huge challenge.
1: So when you're looking at, like, policy development, mm-hmm. um, first it's it's just where are you moving people to, mm-hmm. and then that will dictate sort of what's in your policy from uh, like with regards to like visa and immigration, where's the variance there though? Like, cause isn't it just like a, yep, we need a check, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. And generally speaking, we do not see companies um, that differentiate their policies based on location. <laughs> there are from time to time, ones that will come up um, that might want an intra Europe policy, or they move a lot of people to India. So they want an India specific policy but generally speaking, companies are working with a basic, uh, most commonly permanent transfer policy, long term assignment policy, and short term assignment policy for international. Um, they may incorporate additional benefits. You know, for India, for example, they may offer a different transportation benefit than other countries. Um, so it really depends on the country. But it, again, it's not common to have country specific policies.
1: Well, I think it's time to do another one of our fun questions. Oh, okay. So um, this one's really good. Uh, if a celebrity suddenly uh, became a CEO of a company needing relocation services, who do you think would be the most fun celebrity to work with?
0: Oh, Will Ferrell. Yeah? Yes, 100%.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I think he'd mess with you so much, though.
0: He would, but he would be so much fun. I mean, and I know you know we just talked about him not too long ago. but mm-hmm. um, They don't was- know that. They a they don't jokester. <laughs> yeah huge fan he from you know what I know of him personally which I don't know of him personally at all he just seems like a good person a good guy um, see my
1: favorite is like Ryan Reynolds and yeah. but he already is a CEO of all these companies you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true um, yeah I don't
1: know all right so let's pick this up um, talking about budget and cost management yes okay. So when companies are looking at their programs and they have to think about budget and cost management, Mm -hmm. this would be like a small issue, right? Mm -hmm. No. Not really. (laughs) No, not really. Um, I think that, uh, so what strategies do you recommend for effective budget and cost management in a global mobility program?
0: Sure. Well, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of different policy components that can be put into place. Um, Partial lump sums, for example, or a core flex policy structure. That allows a company to really budget up front and know exactly, not exactly, but know to a good degree what That's this move is going to cost, especially, you know, that that certain group of components. Um, I think it's important that, you know, companies that are working with an RMC work with them really closely as they set their budget. Um, you know, we have clients all the time where we pull these average cost reports and we're pulling and determining exactly what these policies are costing. If a company doesn't have that you know, that easy access to that reporting, it could be a challenge. Um, I think another piece that is really important for companies to consider is that we will have a client from time to time that says, you know what, this benefit costs too much. We're going to cut it. We don't want this anymore. Um, and so things that, that need to be considered, and, and one that comes to mind is we talk about home sale. So they might have a home sale program that costs maybe a $300,000 house, costs $27,000, Um and they say, you know what, that's too much. We're going to offer a direct reimbursement only for $20,000, and that's going to save us $7,000. What they don't think about is the tax consequences. Mm. So the home sale is non-taxable if you know certain guidelines are followed. The direct reimbursement is taxable. So when you add that tax gross up to the direct reimbursement, suddenly that $20,000 $20, direct reimbursement is going to cost over $3,000 more than the more expensive homes, more expensive home mm-hmm. sale. Yeah. So, those are the things that companies need to look at when they when they're changing a program benefit. They need to do the full cost analysis and figure out what's this really going to cost me. The other piece of that is a really difficult thing um, to to kind of wrap our heads around, and that's employee lost productivity. Mm. So, if someone doesn't have access to um, temporary living in the destination location and they have to find a home and they, you know, they're kind of, you know, working around not having a place to live in, you know, it, it's very chaotic. That can really, really have an impact on the productivity of that employee when they get to that new location. So making sure that the program is comprehensive enough. Also, even though it may cost a little more money up front, up front, yeah. it likely doesn't because it's, even more expensive if a relocation or an assignment fails and you're yeah. starting over, that's so much more costly than any benefit.
1: Because there's plenty of stories that I've heard where um, the employee just, they don't, they can't find the right place. Mm-hmm. And so they end up racking up such a huge, like, temp living bill. Correct. Um, whereas if they would have just had the right um Destination service um, offerings right right when they got there, they could have avoided a lot of costs on the back end. And that stuff is hard to quantify, you know, um, but I I think that that's why it's important working with experienced individuals who can provide that consultation so that you make wise decisions. Exactly. Um, And, you know, this when it comes to budget and cost control, um, it seems like a good thing to mention um, the predictive analytics, Mm. you know, because, you know, for you to understand kind of what you have spent, Mm -hmm. well, maybe you're going to scale your business. So how do you know what you will spend unless you have the technology in place where to measure that, you know?
0: Exactly. Agreed.
1: So then it comes time for actual like policy development. Mm -hmm. Um, So could you discuss the process of developing relocation policies both for U.S. domestic, maybe we'll tackle that one first, but then for international as well,
0: developing them from, from scratch. Yeah, well,
1: I I think like you know how they might be tiered, mm. um, you know, like maybe what are some of the differences between mm. um, you yeah, know developing a, a U.S. domestic policy and one that includes um, international. And just kind of what are some of the nuances that maybe some people don't think about when they're building a program?
0: Sure. Sure. Well, I think you touched on something very important in itself, which is what's the difference, you know, is there a difference in the U.S. domestic and the international? And we do see from time to time where a company will move someone internationally or put them on an international assignment and they just, you know, use their U.S. domestic policy. And they're like, we'll just use this and just add whatever we need to to it. Um, But the benefits are really, really different. Programs are really different. The moves are very different, um, so it's best, if possible, to have a different program in place. A lot of companies on the international side, if they're only moving or assigning a couple a year, they might work off of offer letters versus a policy. Um, but the point is, don't don't use the U.S. policy for your international people. Um, so when we're developing from scratch, maybe we're working with a new client. What our client relations managers would do first, of course, is to obtain their current policy if they have one. Mm. Now, are you asking about clients that don't have one at all and they're starting Let's from do scratch? Let's do both. Let's start Let's first with the
1: ones that don't have a policy. That
0: don't have a policy. So I think the first step would be, of course, to have that conversation. What's most important to you? Is it cost? Is it talent retention? Is it customer service and uh, productivity? What, where do your priorities lie? on this scale?
1: Do all RMCs ask those questions or does it take some intuition? I
0: bet not. Okay. I bet only ours does. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I don't know. Yeah.
0: I, I don't know. I don't know. So once we have a good understanding of those kind of things, I mean, we have, you know, a, a general outline of the most commonly offered benefits mm-hmm. and by tier level. And so, you know, most companies would receive, or most employees would receive some kind of miscellaneous allowance or on the international side, a relocation allowance just to cover anything that's not otherwise specified in the policy. Most are going to receive some sort of household goods shipment. They're going to receive travel to the new location. You know, They're not going to be responsible for getting themselves there. And then depending on that tier level and how far the company wants to go is when we start to add in additional benefits. Um, you know, there's also like we talked about the home sale piece. There is a risk involved with home sale. Is the company risk averse? Are they willing to kind of accept that risk for a home sale program? And on the international side, it's really the same process. Um, But the difference there is that we're wanting to know, how long are your assignments? Uh, You know, are you sending people permanently? When they're finished, are you repatriating them or are you localizing them? Um, And then that kind of changes that course of action on the policy provisions as well.
1: So I'm curious on that front. Um, maybe like, have, have you had any experience where a company is thinking about, uh, moving forward with a business plan that would have them moving to X country, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but they needed some legwork done to figure out if that was going to be a cost effective or a good business decision. Mm -hmm. Have you guys done any consulting where that is concerned? And then does that, uh, I, I should just ask that question
0: first that's a that's a fair question. I would say the questions would be more specific to um cost what would be the cost of a move to do this and this and this? in which case we do cost estimates mm-hmm. for clients. um I don't know that those have ever like changed the course of business or yeah. or if they're going to move into a different country um but I think it would change.
1: Because I know that in certain rural uh, communities where they have to move people to, Mm -hmm. um, they will uh, they will do estimates on, you know, is there even going to be housing available and all this stuff? And that can be a big problem, especially when you have big projects taking place in remote locations. Yes.
0: In the US, definitely. We have definitely done things like that. We do have some um, companies that do some engineering projects, that type of thing that are in very rural areas. and we do research to see if there's housing available on the international side. Not as much, but on the the um, upfront on the U.S. domestic side, we have
1: nice. Um, so, as far as like you know, I know I don't know if you want to call them just like these are our core benefits. But what are some key elements, maybe beyond just just the benefits, that should be included in relocation packages um, that cater to a wide range of needs? Um, So, like, I'm thinking, you know, obviously you have the benefits, but working also with, like, a client relations team, like, Mm -hmm. you should be thinking about that as well, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Um, Any policy, honestly, any policy should probably include a repayment agreement. Those are very important. Um, And should also outline any eligibility requirements. Um, That also includes one set of benefits per household.
1: All right. So moving on support yes. services, yes. uh, which are important. Uh, what kind of pre during and post relocation support services are essential in a successful mobility po- program?
0: Sure. I can't talk. <laughs> That's okay. Um, for pre, I think it goes without saying, and this is both pre, I mean, it's pre post during is a well-organized and, um, well thought out setup program from the beginning. So, if you think about mobility, you think about relocation, it is consistently the third most stressful event in a person's life behind divorce and death. Wow. And so when you think about relocation, you're thinking about if you were to receive a transfer notification and now you're going to move to Europe, you need to be there next week. You're leaving your family behind. Imagine that stress. All of a sudden your heart starts to pound and your ears are you know, pounding. So, I'd be fine.
1: My wife would. be
0: <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Maybe that's no, I'm just joking. me. I have my heart pounding thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so having an RMC, having someone who is well-versed in the program, how the processors are going to work uh, that can walk through every single step from the beginning is power, paramount. I mean, that is the top most important thing beyond that, as far as benefits go, um, I would say things like discard and donate for household goods mm, yeah. is good. We think about uh, every time we move, there's always these jokes. Every time we move, there's boxes in the basement and those boxes just keep piling up and piling up. Um, And if you haven't opened them since your last move, you probably don't need those boxes.
1: Now, Amy, some people are collectors. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, some, I suppose. Um, So those non-collectible items, let discard and donate, get rid of those boxes. Don't take them with you again, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of just reduces a little bit of stress. Um, Things like home sale on the U.S. domestic side are really important, getting that home appraised, getting the inspections done right away. Those steps are really important. Of course, on the international side, we already talked about visa immigration, getting that process started immediately and getting an idea of what paperwork is needed and how long that process will take. I would say on both U.S. domestic and the international side, a preview trip or a home finding trip to kind of get a lay of the land and figure out where you're headed is a good step.
1: Question on that. Yes. Are there co- companies who don't see that as very useful? <laughs> and if so, like, what would you say to those companies?
0: Um, I would say there are some, especially more maybe on the U.S. domestic side. Though on the U.S. domestic side, <clears throat> excuse me, it's more common to offer a partial lump sum payment that covers that home finding trip. Mm-hmm. So if the employee feels they need to go and do it, they can. Um But I think it is really important because you're not only seeing where you're going to work, but you're going to see the town that you live in. That's a good time to start building those relationships with a destination service provider, do some area orientation to see schools and figure out where kids are going to play football and baseball and all of those extracurricular activities. And it also gives the employee a chance to meet and talk to the team that they'll be working with in that new location. So I think it's really important. It's just kind of that, introductory trip
1: because you're not just moving somebody's job you're moving their entire life
0: yes exactly their entire life Um, another really important pre-move benefit is starting that cultural training for the international um, assignments or relocations and i think something that's interesting about cultural orientation is that you do have assignees that say well i don't need this i've been there on vacation or i've been there on a business trip but that's not the same as living there so it's important to try to incorporate that cultural um, training benefit. During the relocation, you have the travel, of course, to the host location. You have the household goods move-in process. You have temporary living support, housing support. During the move itself, there's a lot that goes into that. But then after the move, you mentioned that, and it, you know the support doesn't end when the move is complete. Because after that, then you have new home closing costs because maybe they're going to buy a new house. They have household goods that are going to move out of storage into their new location that they've finally just settled on. Um, they might have ongoing COLA payments or cost of living payments that might go on for several years, either on the international side or the U.S. domestic side. And um, international, we mentioned before, repatriation and localization. And another really important piece is tax assistance. So you have year-end tax reporting that. Is going to You know, your move might be finished in February, but you'll hear from the RMC again <laughs> mm-hmm. come next February with your tax reports. So
1: why is it important for so like, you know, you see a lot of companies go just the lump sum route. Mm-hmm. And then depending on the um, the objectives of the company, they they may say that that's not how we're going to do things. Yeah. Um, but do you see a shift one way or the other? And, um, do you, do you also see maybe companies who used to do lump sums now going into like the CoreFlex, you know, as like, Hey, this seems like the best of both worlds. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts on those?
0: You know, it seemed like in the last, maybe over the last decade, there's been a slight shift upwards in, in the use of full lump sum programs. That said, um, I believe that's also probably because there's also been a slight uptick in moving entry level positions or or mm-hmm. lower level employees and they are more likely to get that that full up somewhere it's $5,000 or $7,500 but when you're talking about higher level management and professionals and and uh, directors vps that type of thing even though a lump sum the the payment itself might cover the move they don't have the time or the bandwidth or the ability to do all of those administrative pieces that need to be done in a move which is why it's important to still offer those administrative benefits. Um, but we have seen in the last couple of years, companies are starting to incorporate a core flex program. It's still tiered. So, you know, the core flex varies. An entry level person isn't going to probably get the same number of points or dollar budget as the executive. Um, but, but we are seeing them move that way.
1: So um, how long have CoreFlex programs sort of been in place um, I know that technology has made it easier to have coreflex programs but yeah. I'm just curious on um, like if there's you know stats out about their effectiveness you know sure
0: that's that's a tough one to answer because coreflex has been around mm-hmm. for a long time um, we've talked about it for years and years and it feels like you know every year someone will come forward and say coreflex it's really taken off this year but it does 't I mean, it just mm-hmm. kind of fizzles around a little bit. Um, but we have noticed in the last couple of years it is starting to pick up. And I'm, like you said, I, I think that that really has to do with technology. Um, there's a lot more self-use uh, programs available. not to put a shameless plug here, but like any eyes I select, mm-hmm. where employees go in and they choose the benefits that they want to apply their points to, they can see exactly what's left over. Um, before Coreflex program was a lot more administrative heavy, where the the transferring employee had to talk with their account executive often, or their their relocation coordinator often. Um, so I think with the implementation of these these technology tools, we're going to see it continue to go up. Yeah.
1: Like everyone's already got their phone in their hand, and right. they're used to working in apps. And right. You can exactly. have all of the information about those specific uh, services in hand, mm-hmm. and it, it seems like that could really just solidify it core flex is something that is here to stay, huh?
0: Yes, definitely.
1: So, um, in speaking, I guess this is a good time to talk about like data analytics. Mm. Um, so what role do data analytics play in measuring the effectiveness of a global mobility program? And, uh, what metrics do you see as most valuable?
0: Oh gosh. So you're like
1: now you're speaking my language, you're
0: speaking my language, you say data (laughs) analytics and I'm like, Oh, I love it. Um, so I think there are several components that are, that are taken into consideration with data analytics. Of course, there's the cost analysis. There's always a cost to every benefit. And, and before making any changes or looking at the effectiveness of a program, we have to consider cost.
1: Jerry Maguire. Yes. Show me the money. Show me the money, <laughs>
0: yes. Um, another important piece is exceptions. So we track exceptions. Um, every single exception... As they start to pile up, we can start to see trending and we can start to see how employees, You know, if you have 100 exceptions for more temp living, maybe your temp living program is too lean. So we definitely use those as a a data point. Another piece is employee satisfaction. Um, The data analytics around employee satisfaction is also crucial. Again, because you're going to see those trends where they're saying, this wasn't a big enough benefit for me or I didn't have enough Um, of this benefit or I didn't need this benefit or that's what another place a core flex comes in where they say, I didn't want this home finding trip. I got it. I didn't take it. I would have rather have had this. So
1: how do you, um, so different companies will measure, um, like employee satisfaction mm. or client satisfaction differently. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that you're collecting data that you can actually, you can be actionable with?
0: Sure. So we, we collect several Employee evaluation points at the end of the move on the international with assignments. They're they're doing six month surveys and then annual surveys throughout the length of the assignment. I think it's important to not only um, ask questions that are scalable, so they're they're maybe measuring on a four or a five point scale, um, but they're also providing the comments that can be broken down and and understood.
1: Nice and. You know, this is kind of taking it outside the policy question a little bit, mm-hmm. but, you know, measuring um, your, the performance of your service partners are also very important so mm-hmm. that when you're choosing to work with a, um, an RMC, you know, you may have uh, great consulting that they can put together a great policy for you, yes. but then the people that you rely on to fulfill those services, I mean, if they're no good, then it doesn't matter how good of a policy you have. Yes, that's you know? true.
0: Very true.
1: So uh, speaking to like service partnership, which (laughs) I guess we got there, right? (laughs) We did. (laughs) Um, Can you share insights on the benefits and challenges of handling relocations in-house versus partnering with external service providers?
0: Well, I think, I mean, basically the question is, what's the benefit of outsourcing to an RMC, right? That's, as we break that down,
1: can it save you money?
0: Can it save you money? Um, you know, I think it can. And that's again, so hard to quantify because you're talking about soft savings Mm -hmm. and soft savings are very, very, very difficult to quantify. But something that always comes to mind for me is that at an RMC, that's all they do is mobility. Yet when you're talking about an HR department or, um, a total rewards department or a benefits department within a corporation, relocation might only be 10% of what they do. So with every move, um, there might be a little bit of a, how did we do this before, you know, kind of trying to remember. And so it's not necessarily as efficient of a process. And so again, that's where that soft saving comes in. You know, we're able to move things along a lot easier.
1: I feel like um, if you're trying to do things in-house, you basically are trying to build your own mini RMC. Yes. And it's kind of like if I was um, going to, um, you know, like build or like have it make a cake, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I would go and get all the supplies, but I'd be left with a bunch uh, more supplies. Like it's not efficient. You know, I would come out with maybe a cake that was really good, you know, (laughs) but I would be left with a lot of waste. Yes. And I think that when you're working with like an RMC, like where this is all we do, it's our job to make sure that everything's efficient just so that we can collect a, a like so that we can pay ourselves, yes. you know, because if we're not efficient, we don't get paid. Um, but uh, so we we have a vested interest in keeping things efficient. And then that expertise of doing it over and over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again, you know, you keeping that um, that. In house, if you keep your relocation in house, you may have a thousand moves under your belt, right? Mm-hmm. But we may have a hundred thousand moves under our yes. belt, you know, so, and the experience that comes with that is invaluable.
0: Absolutely. And not to mention leveraging the contracts with the service providers mm-hmm. based on the volume that we're able to provide them.
1: It you, can save you money.
0: It can save you money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump into my scenarios. Oh, okay. I don't think you've seen these.
0: I have not. <laughs> I have not seen these. Not this is for my Caribbean favorite.
1: These. Okay. So I wanted to kind of run through a few scenarios with you. Okay. Um, I want you to think about how you would build a program differently mm-hmm. based on the industry mm-hmm. that uh, you're trying to serve. Okay. Okay. So um, the first one would be like a technology startup. Okay. Okay. So you have this technology startup there. It's a small agile technology company. Mm -hmm. Um, they do software development, um, and they have a limited budget, but they have a, a need for highly specialized talent. Mm. Um, they prioritize, you know, short-term assignments and project based relocations, or at least we think they might, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and, uh, they really need flexibility. Mm. now is with your experience you know what what you've uh, the companies you've worked with um as well as with everything i've shared about them mm-hmm. um how do you begin to think about like uh their policy do you have any questions mm-hmm. for that you would ask and then kind of use that as a springboard to talk about a p- policy for a company like
0: this yes so my first questions would be, how many moves are they talking about, intern like for U.S. domestic and then also internationally? Okay. Um, how long their assignments are that are U.S. that are international? Uh, you mentioned project based reload. So are they also talking about potentially U.S. domestic short term assignments, which that can also come into play? Um, my other question would be, their employee levels that they're moving. Are they moving only their their top brass, or are they moving everyone? So I would have so those say,
1: questions. So say if, you know, if I'm speaking as a company, we're going to do only U.S. domestic relocations. Mm-hmm. It's mainly recruiting-based, so we are just trying to get the right people in here for certain projects, mm-hmm. and then we don't need them after that, mm-hmm. um, so on a contract basis. Got it. Um, and uh, we are – yeah. So just like if did you have any other questions or does that cover it?
0: I think that would cover it. Yeah. So if you're talking about project based and it's U.S. domestic only, then we'd probably be suggesting a U.S. domestic short term assignment. We'd be talking about something like that. We could incorporate a core flex program into that when you're talking about a tech startup. The very tech savvy tech is important to them. I think they would want the tool like the iSelect program where they can kind of pick and choose what's important to them. But we're going to be excluding benefits like a home sale program Mm. because we're not going to expect them to sell their home if they're only there on a short time. Um, The big questions for the company, of course, will be budget. I'm a little concerned that they would be on such a small budget um, with a U.S. domestic short-term assignment.
1: In such a competitive industry. In such a
0: competitive industry, um, I would be concerned about the cost of housing. So are they going to cover housing for that project-based contractor for the entirety of that assignment while they're also not selling their home so that employee could potentially have duplicate housing costs? Um,
1: I suppose a good question would be, um, are there going to be any, uh, like, remote, um, like, hybrid type? Uh, like, obviously, they're interested in relocation, so there has to mm-hmm. be some time spent uh, at, lo- at destination, yes. right? But um, – you know, uh, a good question might be, like, is that going to be all the time, or are you going right. to be back at a different location? They could have a commuter
0: yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. We do have policy recommendations for commuters as well mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: that definitely could happen.
1: But those are the questions you need to ask. So, mm-hmm. like, when you're building a policy, you, you take note of um, these specifics about a company, and then you start mm-hmm. figuring out the policy outside. Yes. Now, I, now I know that a lot of people in that situation, they're going to be – Lump sum only, mm-hmm. you know, but again, if they have a, a smaller budget, mm-hmm. um, maybe the core flex can serve to keep them competitive because it, it's a little bit more attractive than just here's yes. a, a pile of cash. Exactly.
0: Right. Since you had said that they, that their focus is recruiting and they need to get those very important people there, I would not.
1: Proposal lump sum. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. So that was scenario one. Okay. Okay. Um, it's like
0: a test. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, we're, how much have you learned Randy in 21 years? Randy asked me to do this for you.
1: <laughs> oh, your pay raises would be dependent on the answers to <laughs> oh, these questions. Dear. No. All right. So I have a different company for you. Okay. okay. So you have a well-established multinational corporation Um, and it does work in multiple countries. Uh, they have comprehensive long-term assignment policies currently, um, and they are primarily focused on developing global leaders. So they, they really want to keep people in their organization. Um, their policy right now, as it stands, includes extensive support, um, like housing, schooling, cultural training, all that stuff. How would you, um, what, what kind of questions would you ask about their current policy to to understand whether it is um, an up-to-date policy and if it's still competitive for their goals?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, that would be more of a, a situation where I would ask to just see the policy. Yeah. <laughs> there's, okay. there's too many questions yeah. um, to try to ask about the entire policy. Uh, but definitely we'd be looking to understand um
1: for for so for a company like that though, yes. like what are non-negotiables? Um,
0: for a company like that, I feel like non-negotiables would be, gosh, I can't say non-negotiables because everything is negotiable. Okay. <laughs> everything is negotiable. Um, I feel like a a well a well established policy should include, of course, housing. It should include cultural training and language training if necessary, if it's appropriate. You're talking long term, right? Long term assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, it should include house or uh, schooling support, mm-hmm. of course, travel to the host location. There should be home visit trips back to the destination or back to the origination location, um, tax equalization support.
1: Now, what if I threw in the uh, curveball and said they, they're <laughs> having trouble getting the uh, people to move um, to take these assignments That that they seem like they have a pretty good program? In yeah. place, but they're having trouble in our current situation with, you know, actually moving people.
0: So then I would put the question back to you, corporation. <laughs> <laughs> <Dang> <laughs> these <it>. are <laughs> these are current employees. Yeah. So what feedback have you received from them that would explain why they're declining?
1: Well, we workers. do a lot of work in Israel, mm. and so there's unrest, and yes. um, we uh, we don't know quite what to do about that.
0: Mm. So. <laughs> You're trying to throw the big curveballs <laughs> at me. Be <laughs> careful so when what you, you say. Be you careful know? what you ask for. So, when yeah. you're talking about an area with unrest mm-hmm. like Israel, um, or you,
1: Sudan, or, you know. Like, right. Yeah. You would
0: absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, need to look at incorporating a hardship allowance. Okay. So, that's where you're looking at comparing wherever they're from to where they're going to and offer some sort of monetary benefit along with likely a rest and relaxation leave program so they can get a break from that.
1: Mm, Those are really good.
0: So that's something you definitely would want to look at incorporating. Insecurity. Insecurity. Yeah. 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 We're not seeing a lot of moves right now into those. Yeah.
1: Well, the other thing, too, is like, I guess if you do work, uh, if you're trying to work around a situation like that, Under working with people who have experience um, Mm -hmm. working in those particular environments is probably really important to you.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: All right. So, do you want to do a few more? Sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, does this get harder (laughs) or easier?
0: How about, oh, just, I, I how about a just a college name. guy moving yeah. from, like, Nebraska to Iowa? We okay, got
1: that. the college guy moving from Nebraska to Iowa.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> <Okay>. Some. <laughs> it
1: depends. Is he <laughs> accepting NIL money? Is he going to be a starting quarterback? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's do two more scenarios. Okay. And then one one or two more funny questions. Okay. Fun <laughs> questions are good. Um, so you have a financial services company. Okay. Uh, they're very high profile. Um, and they just lost their CEO. Okay. And, um, so money is really not an option for them. It's not an Um, issue at all. Yep. Um, but they, they want to get the very best, um, CEO possible. Mm -hmm. Um, especially so because the last CEO was fired because of, you know, um, poor, very poor performance. Okay. So, um, when money is no option, you know, like, um, Are you developing like one-off policies or like how do you think about working with a company like that who maybe for this upper, upper tier Mm -hmm. money is no expense, but they still have to figure out what they're going to do on down the line? And then also when they're telegraphing, um, you know, that they're going to go all out for this one employee at the top. How do you uh, have this – this understanding that we're still trying to be fair to everyone else underneath
0: them. Yes. So I think in a situation like that, we would look at taking their highest level tier, whatever that might be. And honestly, probably adding exceptions to that. So that way you're not creating this policy that is floating around out there. Um, I think in a case like that, you would probably be, incorporating like NEI's extra care is an example. I'm sure other companies offer similar programs, but um, extra care where they're they're getting that extra high level service, the the white glove treatment, um, and then basically grabbing every benefit available and, and giving the maximum benefit. I mean, that's Especially if money is no object and Mm -hmm. we're giving them as whatever we can give them.
1: So you're talking about not really adjusting the policy as much as just adding to the policy what you really need.
0: Yes. If this is a one-off, if it's truly a one-off situation, which in this case it is, they're replacing the CEO, I don't think we would want to develop a policy specifically for that unless they have CEOs turning over like every six months. Now,
1: do you think that's ever happened before where they just redesigned a whole policy for one person?
0: Um, probably. Okay. They probably have.
1: If you've redesigned a whole policy for one person, please contact
0: <laughs> us. They probably have. And honestly, <laughs> and that, maybe that's why that one company had 36 policies. Maybe. Um
1: all right, one more scenario. Do you think these are fun? I kind of think they're I fun. I think they're kind
0: of fun. Nerve-wracking, but <laughs> fun. <laughs> It's one thing to sit at my desk with all my stats and information, another thing off my off the top.
1: All right. So, uh, you've just signed the NFL go. Oh. Nice. <laughs> okay. I imagine money is not a
0: (laughs) a problem, but they probably have
1: a lot of logistical issues that other companies don't face. Yes. You know, so like with a sports league, I guess, since we're trying to be fun, (laughs) um, what do you think, uh, what kind of policy would they um, have in place that might differ from other policies or would it differ?
0: Oh, gosh. You know, I would say I would anticipate, I mean, I'm really just guessing. There are some I'm Lamborghinis. Just, Everyone just gets make, extra care. Right. I'm just making things up here. But yeah. I'm going to say maybe like. maybe they would have fewer homeowners. They might have more renters because oh, I can't see NFL players buying a home if they're going to be traded. It depends on how, how should long. Should we ask we- them? We if should. If we have
1: any NFL players in our audience, <laughs> uh, can you Do please you- contact us for some research? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Because I'm thinking if they're traded off and they, they wouldn't maybe own a home, but but they probably still would because they have all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. They probably could just... Condos. They could know? just donate the house when they're done with it. Perhaps,
1: But they still would take advantage of like home finding though. Because I mean, it may maybe be a would. lot more white glove, but you know, you still it, have to do the basics of like moving. It would unmoving. be
0: white glove. And so... This is going to go way back, back when I was an accounting executive years and years and years ago. Which um, was like 10 years ago. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was longer than that. Oh, my gosh. Um, I was like six. Yep. Um, <laughs> we, I, I sold a home to someone. Um, one of our transferees sold their home to someone that was in NASCAR, mm. was one of the NASCAR drivers. And so we had to work with their assistant. Primarily. They they saw the house. They did all the walkthroughs. They did everything for this NASCAR driver. Um, and so I'm thinking with the NFL, it'd probably be similar. We'd probably work with, we wouldn't work with the players directly. I, I'm mm-hmm. probably not going to go meet with Russell Wilson yeah. and show him a house. right? Unless you try. No, right, right. <laughs> but to your point, though, they, they probably would have very expensive household goods moves. They would probably have a lot of goods, a lot of expensive goods that would need some Special crating and their Lamborghinis are going mm-hmm. to need an enclosed carrier. That, like, if you
1: mention lump sum, you're fired. It, you know, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, let me see. I think I have one more fun question. Okay. And then I'll let you sign us out.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, so I don't need to take notes on the, the fun question.
1: So, let me think about this for a second. So, if a company gave you complete freedom to choose their new location. Without any constraints, yes. where would you relocate them and why? But you have to tell me the type of company that you're re- relocating as well.
0: Okay, so I'm relocating an entire company. You
1: get to pick the company and you get to tell me where you're moving them.
0: And I do I work there? Just, no, I'm just will just say them. that
1: like, uh, I don't know, man. But it's, See you're yeah. talking to an,
0: you're talking to an analyst here so I'm like I need more information. Yeah, I was not expecting this.
1: Okay. So, you own both companies. Oh. <laughs> that's nice. why it works so well. Okay, good. Was that did I just play 4D chess? You might have. Okay.
0: I own both both companies. I own the relocation company and the company that's relocating. Yep. Got it. Okay, so I would own I'm brilliant dude. I would definitely own an MLB team. I mean, we're gonna go to sports. Thank you. Yes, I would definitely own an MLB team. Um, I won't say which one. No, oh. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would own a company that analyzed baseball stats like Moneyball.
1: Okay, and that way you don't tick off a fan base because if you move their team, it could be
0: it could be a big issue. So yeah. no, I'm gonna move the company that analyzes all the players. Okay. With Jonah Hill. hmm Um, I would move them to New Zealand. Oh. We're just going to move them completely out of the United States where the MLB mm-hmm. teams are. Just
1: Would you hire Gandalf?
0: Um, No. No?
1: I don't think so. Mm. Probably
0: not. Um, seems
1: like he'd be wise, though.
0: I don't feel like he's probably into baseball. Okay. Maybe not.
1: Anyway, so you'd move them to, to New Zealand. <laughs> yes. Okay.
0: For their safety.
1: But what about... So here, let me ask you a question here. When you move them to New Zealand, it seems like they might have some trouble... Uh, like following baseball because of the time difference. Well, but you, but you' you're thinking about quality of life though.
0: I am thinking about quality of life. Yeah, they, I mean the scenery there appears to be just second to none, right? And I think they have a lot of goats or something. Okay. In New Zealand. so how many
1: people do you are you moving then? and uh, what kind of relocation policy would you <laughs> put together in order to get them there?
0: Well, let's see. I'm going to say I'm going to move. How many MLB teams are there? 30. I believe 30. 30. I'm going to say we probably would need 15 people. I'm just totally making up numbers. I'm going to say half of those people. Okay. Would move to New Zealand to analyze all the stats. The
1: half that you like?
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. The other half, they're <laughs> on their own. They're on their own. Um, I would be part of that half because I would just want to make sure they were comfortable.
1: So the policy... What, what are your constraints with developing this fictional policy and how would you get around those fictional complaint or constraints?
0: Um, I really don't have any constraints because I'm a really good business owner. And so I've made so much money, I can just throw it away.
1: How'd you make that money?
0: Oh, I mean, I own the MLB.
1: No, you, you own, a, own a stat company. Oh,
0: I own the stack company. Dang <laughs> it. It's so successful, though, because... <laughs> Darn, I forgot what
1: business is. Okay. Well, I think yeah. that's a nice place to end. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank Amy Smith for coming on to Relocation Leader. I think that uh, she's definitely shown her chops here, and we can probably keep her at NEI. <laughs> thank so, you. Um, yeah, but we want to encourage you, like and follow us, uh, especially on LinkedIn. You Give uh, eye a, a like, and um, yeah, thanks for coming.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was All fun. Right. See you guys. Thanks.
1: This has been Relocation Leader, the podcast where we help professionals advance in the world of global mobility. Find our episodes and the video version in the podcast show notes and listen wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time.